Hello and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our sermon series through Luke. Thank you for listening. You can uh, grab a seat. Uh, we are, over the next couple of minutes, going to move into a time of prayer uh, as a church. Um, so if you need to, man, set anything aside or um, and put your phone away or whatever for a couple minutes, you can do that. Uh, we want to, um, here's, here's how this is going to go. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a second. There'll be a, a minute or so there of silence for you to have an opportunity to connect and pray. And then I will continue to lead us uh, and through a prayer. So um, if you would, uh, let's pray. Father, we love you and we are so grateful we can sing songs like we just did. Um, just the reminder that, that you hold to us and nothing can, can pry that grip, not the enemy, um, not ourselves. And so this morning, uh, church and uh, Father, we would um, like to take a few moments to reflect and to think on forgiveness. Lord, your word says in Psalm 103 verse 12 that as far as the east is from the west so do you remove our transgressions from us. So God, in the midst of all of our distractions, would you remind us of your desire to forgive us again and again? Church, I'm going to give you a minute of silence if you would just like to spend a minute or two in praying, um, connecting with the Lord, or asking for forgiveness, even confessing sin, you can do that, and then I'll continue leading us through prayer. God, in the midst of all of our distractions, would you remind us of your desire to forgive us? God, if we return to you with a repentant heart after we have sinned, you will always embrace us, helping us to start fresh and anew. Lord, you are full of compassion and love, slow to anger and rich in mercy. God, you do not keep count, and we are grateful. God, you graciously wait on our return, and we are grateful. God, you want us home with you, and we are grateful. Oh, Lord, our God, your love is everlasting. It knows no end, and we are grateful. God, you are mighty, and yet you save us with mercy. God, you know each of us intimately, and you watch over us in our weaknesses, and you guide us daily. We praise you for that. Father, in this, your chapel, we are safe safe to let down our guard and dwell in your presence. 
Lord, let us never forget you came also for the needy, the poor, the oppressed, the forsaken, those that society has forgotten. Help us to never forget. Father, your spirit renews our hearts from within. Thank you that we carry the promise of your forgiveness with us. And Lord, we ask for your spirit as we seek to remember your forgiveness and as we seek to share your forgiveness with others. God, we need you and we love you. Amen. If you have a Bible, man, if you'll find Luke chapter 15, uh, there are Bibles in the pews uh, in front of you. If you don't have one, again, Luke chapter 15. I've been going through Luke for a while. This shouldn't be, um, if you've been around, a surprise for you. If you have your journal, you may want to turn there as well. <clears throat> um, today we are going to um, and, and cover the, 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 the passage of the prodigal son. And so I'm just going to jump in. I pray you had a good spring break. A few people have mentioned that adults need um, a spring break as well. So if you didn't get one, um, maybe you need to pray for that. Maybe that'll happen. I don't know what to tell you. Good luck. Uh, your time's over. You're an adult, so grow up. So um, I guess, I don't know. So th there you go. Man, a lot of grace in that, wasn't there? So, um, so we just sang a song a few minutes ago, and Stephen was really kind. Um, I texted him on Tuesday and said, hey, uh, man, would you be willing to lead this song? I know we've never sang it. The band's never played it, and no one knows it. It's Tuesday. Would you do it Sunday? And he, man, graciously said yes. And so um, I, I want to um, kind of frame um, and the, the, the parable of the prodigal son with this song a little bit. So if you haven't written down that line, he will hold me fast. You may want to do that if you take some notes. But this, this hymn uh, was written um, before 1880, we're pretty sure, um, <clears throat> by a, a lady who wrote a lot of hymns named Ada Habershon. Now, some of hymns, some hymns, kind of like this one, they were written kind of like songs today, and then you didn't hear them for a while, people didn't sing them. And then the Lord began to use that song out of an instance, out of, a, out of something that incredible happened through his presence, and then the church would begin to sing that song. And this was the case with this song, He Will Hold Me Fast. So, written by Ada Habersham, um, but the story of the song gaining popularity and beginning to be sung by the church as a hymn um, happened this way. There was a man named Robert Harkness, which he was a gifted Australian pianist who traveled the world in his 20s with a famous evangelist. One night at an evangelistic rally or a revival in Canada, after the service, this Harkness, this Robert Harkness, met a young man recently converted who feared that he might not be able to hold out. And he said, I, I, I have placed faith in Christ, but I don't know that my faith is going to hold. I don't think I'll be able to hold out and remain faithful. And listen to what the response was. Harkness longed for the young man and countless others impacted by the revival, and to have confidence deep in their souls that, that their finishing the race and keeping the faith did not fall finally to themselves. He wanted this young man and others to know, listen church, that God finishes what he starts. So the song, He Will Hold Me Fast, is that message. That what he has started in you in salvation, he will bring to completion. That it's not up to you or your efforts or this young man's efforts. That Christ is the one who holds. Because the reality is, church, we need to be real honest, we don't. The message of the gospel is not that if you hold out, stay strong, never waver, you'll make it. Rather, the message of Christ is that he made it on your behalf. When we say he will hold me fast, we are saying because of Christ's work, because of Christ's presence... Because of Christ's perfect life, because of Christ's death, because of his resurrection, he will hold me fast. He holds me fast even when I'm unable or unwilling to hold out myself. 
This is not license to live how I might, rather a godly reminder of where our faith lies in Christ alone. And so the only possible response to such a great offering is worship. You're going to hear Stephen and I say this all the time, but the first calling of the Christian life is not to behave, but it's to behold, to worship. And so what we're going to see in this account of the prodigal son is this son asking, does the father really love me? And the father is going to display in no other way that he could that he absolutely does. The question you may wrestle with this morning is, does the father really love me? And maybe you say, does the father really love me today or when I sin? I believe this was the question of this prodigal son. God, do you really love me? Father, do you really love me? So if you'll look with me starting in verse 11. It says, and he said, there was a man. So this is Jesus teaching a parable. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, younger and older. And so, so we're going to get into the father and the younger son, but look at verse 12. And the younger of them, the younger son, said to his father, now listen to this. Man, put yourself in these shoes. Imagine you going to your dad having this conversation today. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. What is he saying? Give me my inheritance now. Another way of saying that would have been, go die, dad. I hate you, father. I don't need you, father. And then a shocking and even questionable move, like I would question this. The father, it says in verse 12, does just this. He divided the property between them. And listen, this was not just a ridiculous request, but a scandalous one. If a father loves his kids, listen, he will know them. Therefore, this father knew what would happen the moment his son got that inheritance. He knew his son's heart. He knew his son's character. He knew his son's lostness. He knew his son's temptations. And he knew his son's vulnerabilities, which begs the question, was the father reckless? Would a good father give a son what would hurt him? And hear me, a good father will do all it takes to ultimately bring his son home, even if it's painful and hard. Even if the only option is that there's no return guaranteed. The father in this account is to be for us, the reader, a view of God and his love for you and I. And what I would encourage you to do this morning is try to put yourself into the position of the young son. You may have never gone to your father and said, give me what's coming to me, but you can certainly relate what it means to run to sin rather than to a heavenly father. Verse 13, not many days later, and I would argue an incredible arrogance, um, he gathered all his stuff and he journeyed into a far country. Not many days later is this reminder that the young son stuck around. He says, Dad, go die, give me my inheritance, and then sticks around in Dad's house for a few more days. And what arrogance and foolishness is displayed. Then it says he gathered all he had. So in the presence of family and in the presence of friends, he gathers all he has. And he, and he goes, and it says he took it to a, on a journey in a far country. I mean, we can just see right at the gate in verse 13, there's all kinds of stuff going on with this young son. He was running. He was hiding. He felt shame. One of, the, one of the most encouraging parts of this is how often once we get into the father, the father wants to remove the shame from the son. Neighbors and friends may have heard what was being done. There's, there's a lot happening. And this is in verse 13, like he takes his stuff, he runs to a far country, and the end says, and then here he squandered his property in reckless living. And we're not told exactly what was reckless, but we can assume based on the character of a man who would tell his father to go die so he can get his that he wasn't making wholesome decisions. Men to squander recklessly makes it obvious that something is wrong, that the young son is trying to cover something up, run 
from something, hide from something. People, in my experience, don't just blow up their lives for no reason. There's something they're running from, to, or hiding usually. There's always warning signs in our lives, are there not? Man, is, is, what's going on? What, what, what compels a young son to go to their father and say this? I heard a man say one time that we should never get, and he said two, four things that I have written down in my office. Never get too tired, never get too angry, never get too lonely, and never get too hungry. So I'll hurry, but hangry, right, that whole thing. But here's his point. When we're too tired, too angry, too lonely, too hungry, bad decisions happen there. And people don't just blow up their lives for no reason. We get to a place and we blow it up. Affairs don't just happen. They start by taking small steps. Step here, step there, step in front of the computer. I'm bored. I'm being foolish. I'm thinking about someone else that I shouldn't be thinking about. Listen, the younger son clearly had some issues. Trauma, brokenness. He had relational and friend issues, it would seem. And he masked whatever his issues were instead of dealing with them in foolishness and reckless living. So we all knew people like this in high school, the class clown, right? Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. He spent everything. He began to be in need. He found himself in trouble. We already know he lacked wisdom. And the same lifestyle that led him to run from home now left him in trouble. I would give you two words. He was destitute and he was lost. Oftentimes we read this and we read verse 14. And I think it's easy to think like this. A homeboy went to Vegas, spent all his money, spent his college fund, maxed out the credit card, and then sat down in his hotel room and went, oh no. That's not the situation here at all. This situation is destitute and lost. You have to get a good picture of where the younger son has landed. He is now homeless. He is jobless. He is hungry. In a couple of verses, we're going to see he is so far destitute, he is shoeless. Men from a great and wealthy family to homeless and rags, dirty and smelly. Not a Vegas guy that just ran out of money, but hungry, homeless, lonely, and dirty. The young son, listen, in many ways, is now the man or woman you see at an intersection asking for help that many will attempt to look away from. And just as the younger son has a story, so do the people that we see at these intersections all the time. Can, I just, can we just be really clear? The people we want to shy away from, and I do this too, they are loved by God just like you and I. We've put together some kits in the back. If you interact with one or see one, then grab a kit, serve in some way, love on someone. But this guy was done. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, if you were looking for a job tomorrow and you got on line and you saw that someone was hiring a pig feeder, that would not be at the top of your list. You're not going to show up to Thanksgiving and go, let me tell you about my new job as a pig feeder. Not only that today, but pigs in this culture at this time were considered unclean filthy animals. They did not know about bacon yet. Sad for them, right? This younger son in his former life with his father would not have even been allowed to be near pigs. Now he is taking care of them and even longing to eat. We're going to see what they eat. He now finds himself lower than the pigs. He now finds himself and sees himself as one who is unclean in the very way that these pigs he would see are unclean. Man, do you see what has happened to his life? Verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Scraps, leftovers. He had gone from eating the finest foods to now longing for pig food. Then hear me, church. 
when we follow our desires, give into a life of sin, though God will love us and continue to draw us near, we will find ourselves in the place that this son does, longing for things we never imagined. And that's not too far from any of us. Man, this includes hidden sin. That, that, that thing you're hiding from your spouse, your friends, your church, that thing is going to put you in a place and where you never imagined you would be. I was reading this week, uh, a man named Henry Nowen wrote on the prodigal son. And he said this, The further I run from the place where God dwells, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me beloved. Did you hear that? Listen. The further I run from the place where God dwells, the less I'm able to hear the voice that calls me beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and the power games of the world. And please write this down this morning. I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I am the prodigal son every time I search for, the un for unconditional love where it cannot be found. This is exactly what the young son did. I'm going to go buy some friends. I'm going to go buy happiness. Verse 17. And this is where it turns in such an incredible way. It says, he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Do you know what happened in that moment? I have it written in my, in my margin. I wrote the knowledge of God in verse, next to verse 17. Because in verse 17, something clicks. Something triggers the memory of his father. He remembered his father. He recalled some, something good about his father. He recalled what it was like to be around his father. He recalled what it was like to just be near him or in his presence. Something about the presence of the father began to draw him home. That verse is you and I as well. When we get too far away, something about the presence of God starts to call and draw us home. I said this earlier, man, I think it just bears saying again, Man, when, when I was in college, I will never forget, there were so many times that I would be sitting on the couch watching SportsCenter or whatever's on TV with some friends, and I would, I would feel and hear, man, this, this voice in my soul just going, hey, Josh, come and sit with me. Come open the Bible. Come spend time in prayer. And there were times I did it and times I didn't. Church, listen, hear those times and be obedient. There's going to be times where God just beckons. It doesn't make sense. It's not your normal hour of prayer or your quiet time moment. And there's going to be times he calls you into his presence. Men, listen, this is so true of you and I. Something in our souls longs for our heavenly father. James 4, 5 says he yearns, God yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. Listen, the father is always working, always drawing, always stirring, always reminding us to come home and that our home is with him. And it's the same with our heavenly father. Our Heavenly Father is always working, always drawing, always stirring, always reminding us to come home and that our home is with Him. And maybe you're here and you have a child or you know someone who has a child who's run from home. God has not stopped working on them. God is placing other people around them that know Christ in hopes to draw them back home. And don't miss that. Every good thing is a gift from God drawing us back home. You ever just get a good gift or check in the mail and go, what is this about? Even those are good gifts reminding us to come back home to the Lord. Man, knowledge of God. There are three things that are going to bring this, this, the, the, the prodigal son home. The knowledge of God, knowledge of the Father. Verse 18 is going to tell us the mercy of the Father. He remembered the mercy of the Father. And the verse 19 is going to tell us the goodness of the Father. It's the same things for you and I. But hey, listen, we'll get to that in a second. Dads and moms, take note. We're going to see the son comes back home. 
as, as, as a father, I mean, as one who's still learning how to be a father, we have got to be wise in how we react to our child's failures and sins. And here's why. Because when they're older and they really mess up, we want them to come home to us, not run from us. So when they spill a cup of water, I can't react like they robbed the liquor store. Because if one day they rob the liquor store, and I pray they don't, but if they do, I still want them to be able to come home and know they can call their father and come home. So let's be very careful in how we react to our children's failures and sins because it sets a precedent of how they think we'll respond. The son comes home, listen, because of the knowledge, the mercy, and the goodness of the father. And the knowledge of the father, verse 17, brings the younger man home. How about this, verse 18? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. The mercy of the father brings the young man home. He knows the character of the father. He knows he has experienced and he has seen the mercy of the father on display. He has probably had times where he watched his father act merciful to the servants that were under him. And he recalled them. Verse 19, I am no longer, he will say, Worthy to be called your son, treat me as one of your hired servants. Can I just remind you, and, and maybe you want to write these down this morning. These are the same things that bring you and I, the sinner, home, knowing God. If you've placed faith in Christ and you have a relationship with God, then his presence is always drawing you back home. The mercy of God, the reminder that though I fail, his mercy remains. And the goodness of God. We just sang this song, and here's what we sang. He will hold me fast. We didn't sing, I will hold me fast. That would be weird, silly, and wrong. He will hold me fast. When I fear, listen to the line. When I fear my feet may fail, Christ will hold me fast. Look at me. Listen, at some point, your feet are going to fail. Listen to me. Christ will hold fast. Your salvation isn't in jeopardy. Christ is not in jeopardy. Your relationship with God is not in jeopardy. But at some point, you will misstep. Christ will hold you fast. When I fear the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. Listen, you will fall into temptation, church. And even though you fall into temptation, Christ will not. He will hold you fast. Why? And we sang this, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Let's continue. Verse 20. And he rose and he came to his father. But while they were still a long way off, the father saw. Look at, look at these words. Five things happened. The father saw him, meaning he was looking for him. Listen, this is a picture of our God. He's looking for our return. He's not looking to throw shame or guilt. He's looking to go, oh, here they come. He saw him. Look what it says. He felt compassion. We'll get into these in a minute. He ran, embraced, and kissed him. The younger son comes home. Whatever he lost, money, friends, influence, his soul, his morality, his security, his reputation, his family, his religion, he still remained his father's child. And it's the same for you and I. No matter what you lose, you will always remain your father's child. Nothing and no loss can separate you from the father. In the book of Jude, it's this book you probably don't read a ton. The last two verses are, are, are what's called a doxology, or they're part of a doxology. And they say this, verse 24 of Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I mean, this reminder in Jude that he is able to keep you. He is strong enough to keep you. Not only is he able to, but he does. He keeps you. 
He will hold you fast. Even when you fail, fall, doubt, sin, and run, Christ holds on to me. Verse 20, while he was a long way off. I just love this. When I was growing up, we had our favorite uncle, Uncle Mike. He's probably watching. He lives in San Diego. Y'all wave to Uncle Mike if you're near the camera. Um, uncle Mike uh, cheering us on here at Refuge. Um, when Uncle Mike, he was in the military army, because I'll get in trouble. Um, he, uh, he lived in all kinds of states, and he would come to visit us and bring his kids, and it'd be like the cousin reunion, and we'd get in trouble and blow stuff up. It was going to be amazing. But what I always remember is the day he would come, my brother and I would go to the front. We lived on a couple of acres, and we'd go to the front of the, the property, and there was this huge magnolia tree. We'd climb from this magnolia tree, and we would perch ourselves in the top of this magnolia tree, waiting for him to come home. And then when Uncle Mike would come home, we'd see him pulling in the driveway after his long journey from Pennsylvania or St. Louis. We would almost fall out of this tree trying to get to his car. And this is what I think is happening right here. The father sees him because he's looking and he's waiting on his return. The father's not like doing his thing and go, oh, that guy. But the father's waking up in the morning, sipping his coffee, going, is he coming? He's putting away everything because he just really desires his son to come home. What a father who watches and waits for our return eagerly. Hear me. No matter how far I run. And not only that, but look at the next thing he does. The father has compassion on him. And it says it, says it this way. It says he felt compassion. That's really important because we do a lot with fake compassion, do we not? Like somebody posts on Facebook, you don't really like them, but like they're having a bad day. You're like, sorry, you know, that whole thing, you've done that. It's okay, you're a sinner because Jesus is drawing you home. But like, but, but what I need you to see is it's not that he had compassion because he was his father, but in his soul, he felt compassion for his son. He felt it in the same way he feels for you and I when we run. I and mean, hear me, not anger, not shame, not guilt, but he felt compassion. And then, then what does the father do? The father embraces him. Remember where the son had been? Homeless, dirty, with pigs. Probably, listen, probably unrecognizable to many, but never unrecognizable to the father. Like, do you know that you are never and will never become unrecognizable to your father? I mean, such a picture of, listen, such a picture of, we don't come to church after we've cleaned our lives up. We come dirty and he makes us clean. We don't need to allow people to miss the gospel because they think they're too dirty or too sinful. We should be full of that. Then the father runs to him. Look at the picture. Father runs to him. Now, I don't know a ton about this kind of patriarchal culture, but I know, A, for a man in that culture, especially an older man, to run was shameful. He had to hike up his cloak. He had to show his legs and thighs, which was crazy shameful, and then run to his son. Here's the crazy part. All of a sudden, now the attention is no longer on the son coming home, but it's on the father running. So the father takes the shame so the son doesn't have to walk in shame the rest of the way home. Man, it he becomes like him. He exhibits the compassion he feels on his son. The father kissed him. You've got to know family and friends are going, he's kissing that dirty guy? Who is that dirty guy? No one's looking at the dirty guy anymore. They're looking at the father as a sign that his son had returned. Not as a worker for the father, but as a son. Now look, this is, this is a great interaction. The son's going to start talking and the dad doesn't even respond. He's like, whatever. He's just so glad he's home. And the son said to the father, I've sinned against you before. You, you ever done this like when you were 14 and you like did the thing you shouldn't have done and you got in big trouble? And you were like, oh, parents, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Oh, heaven. I did that multiple times, right? Like, that's kind of, I don't know if, the, we don't know if he's being sarcastic, if he's being honest. I, I kind of get the impression he's being honest. But I love the response. There is not one. <laughs> His response is, bring me the robe and the ring, the dad says. 
So the son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Listen to this. Our identity in being a son or daughter of the king is not found in our position, our title, ready for this, your success or your failure. Rather in one thing, have you placed faith in Christ? Do you know the father? The prodigal son had to gain the world and then lose it and even lose his own identity to find the love of the father. So he comes and he says, I'm no longer worthy. What does the father say? He says to his, he didn't respond. He looks at his servant and says, bring quickly the best robe. Make sure you take note of the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. I, I wrote down in my notes, and I don't know if this is biblical, so be careful here. Um, but I wrote down in verse 22, it's like the father said, nonsense, you're home. That's what matters. He says, grab the best robe. That's important because it would have been the most valuable garment in the house. It would have been the one the father wore on the most special of occasions. And he doesn't just allow his son to wear it. What does he do? He wants him to wear it. His shame is covered and his position is restored in one moment when a robe is put on. This guy who is dirty and filthy and full of shame is covered by the father's robe. Put a ring on his hand, the family crest. He looks at him and says, son, your, 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 your identity never changed. You've always been my son. Shoes on his feet from destitute to privilege because he knows the father. So that the son can know that his sonship has been restored. Bring a fattened calf reserved for the most special of occasions. Why? To tell the entire family, my family has been restored. And then he says, let's celebrate. Somebody turn little John on. It's going to get wild. Everyone stop working. Everyone stop what you're doing and come and see. My son has returned. Listen, hear me. Like we read this and go, wow, what a dad. Listen, we should read this and go, wow, what a heavenly father we have. That every time I sin and run, this is his response to me. Because what I want to do is go, gosh, I'm terrible. I suck. And I know, God, you think I suck. And God's like, no, I, I don't think that. I am so celebrating that you have returned to me. It is me who holds you fast. It is me who holds you fast. Verse 23, why? For my son, verse 24, excuse me, for my son was dead and is alive, and he was lost and he was found, and he began to celebrate. Listen, every time we return to the Father, this is his response. A ring, a robe, shoes, a celebration. And the hard part of this is, most mornings we wake up and we don't believe that. Most mornings we don't believe that God is celebrating our return to him. We think repentance is this thing we're like, oh gosh. And, and, and there is some oh gosh to it in our souls, but when God is celebrating our return to him because of what Christ has done. See, if Christ doesn't take our place, none of this is possible. Because Christ took our place on the cross, this is all possible. And what if we really believe this is God's man, response to us? That when we run, and when we are tempted, and when we doubt, he says, turn back to me, and here's why. He will hold us fast, for my Savior loves me so. Uh, we went to the beach this week, and uh, little Zoe, if you've seen Zoe, she's a fireball, and uh, we put all these swimmy things all over her so she would float like a cork in case she fell in, and, um, and so we get to the beach, and, and she's like, she just beeline to the beach. She beats everybody. To, we got like fast dudes in the family, and she beats everybody to the beach. She gets to her ankles, maybe shin deep. And she just loves staring, just, she just, that's her. She just loves it. And we're watching, one wave rolls in. I see her kind of do this move, but like, you're, you're covered, you're fine. So you're doing another move, and then the third wave, boom, she hits, she's down, right? She, I run over, scoop her up, and she goes, 
you know, she's doing all this like she had just died. She clearly had not. She was fine. She's pretty dramatic. And so pick her up and like, you okay? And she goes, I fell into ocean. And like the whole rest of the day is how she fell into ocean. It's like, well, it was an inch deep and you kind of tipped over, but you can have it. Okay. So the next day we go out to the beach um, and, and she runs like all the way and she pauses like at the water and kind of stops and looks back. And then she just sticks her hand out. And if you have kids, you know this move, right? And so, so I, I get up there and I put my hand out. And she just starts kind of pulling me towards the water. So we walk out a little bit. And so I go to pull back. I go to pull away. And she won't let me pull away, right? And as long as, and here's kind of how I wrote it down. I mean, after that, she wanted to go to the ocean. But she wanted her father's hand. She would pull me, trying to get me to go further out. But would not let go, and neither would I. And if I let go for a minute, man, she'd run back to me. She didn't want to fall again, but as long as she was with the Father, she felt brave enough to go back in the ocean. She would pull and I would pull back, but I would never let go. And she was fully secure that her dad was not going to let her fall again. Pull all you want and all you will in an attempt to run from Christ, but hear me, he will never let you go. I'd love for you to write this down and be the bottom of your notes for you to recall this week. But neither you nor the enemy can pry away the good and strong grip that Christ has on you. Please hear me, church. Neither you nor the enemy can pry away the good and strong grip Christ has on you. He can, he will, and he does hold on to you. So we're going to respond in song, but I would love to leave you with a couple things. He will hold us fast, church. We cannot in our strength, but he will. And when we do run, hide, and fall into temptation, the invitation is to return to him. Because God feels compassion towards you and even celebrates your return. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. And we are so grateful um, for such an account like this that reminds us and kind of points to how much, God, you really love us. So I, my first prayer, God, is would you help us to believe uh, today, tomorrow, and, and on from there that you really do love us this much. On the days we wake up or the days we question, God, would you help us to be, be re re recall this, that you don't let go. Man, for those in the room or online who are hearing this message of the gospel for the first time, that Christ took your place on the cross, so that you could have full access to a father who knows you and loves you and celebrates your return to him. Man, if, if you're here and like, I need to know this Jesus you're talking about, would I, just, I, just, I would give you two things. After the service, come tell me or one of our elders, Paul, he'll be up here with me. We'd love to talk to you, but I would just ask you to pray this prayer this morning. You can do it quietly in your seat. God, would you save me? God, would you forgive me of my sins? God, would you make me new? Jesus, would you be Lord of my life? Man, if you want to pray something like that or, or needed to or did, uh, myself and like I said, Paul will be up front after the service. We would love to talk to you. And if you don't get to us, man, get to Stephen or one of the elders, someone, and tell them. And maybe you came this morning and need to be reminded of God's disposition towards you, his forgiveness offered towards you daily and often, that though your feet will fail, Christ will hold you fast. And could you carry that out this week? That when you fail this week, because it's coming, Christ will hold you fast and return. And maybe you sit here and you go, man, you don't know the failures that I've done. Listen, I don't. You're right. But I do know we just read an account of someone who really failed epically. And it doesn't say as long as you don't. It says Christ will hold you fast regardless. And so God, I tell you to ask for forgiveness, to fall on your knees, to, 
to be near the Lord again. God, we need you. God, you are good and we love you. And God, would you continue to stir us in our hearts towards you now, God, as we wait. Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church Podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.